This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Although there's five months to go before Dune Part 2 premieres, and its cast haven't been able to talk about the movie, it's certainly not been quiet. We have a packed show and a few uh, movie updates and tons of new releases to enjoy. This is Marcus Gabriel, your editor at DuneNewsNet.com, and I'm excited to present you this fall 2020, uh, 2023 news roundup together with three fellow Dune Talk regulars. I'm just excited to talk with these guys about kind of the latest. Uh, Johnny reminded me that we'd have our tickets to Dune Part 2 at this point if it hadn't been moved, but that's okay. I'm, I'm patient, and I'm just going to gonna look forward to the date when it comes next year. So, Yes, I am keeping a uh, similarly optimistic and positive outlook. It's uh, Johnny Sobchak here again, and uh, it's been a little while since I was on the on the show. I'm excited to dive into some of the news and uh, have a good conversation tonight. So thanks again for joining us. Johnny, thank you for bringing us down early in the show. Thank you for helping my depression, uh, thinking that we would have Dune Part 2 soon, but sadly, we got to wait until March. Dune Movie News. It's been uh, three months since the Actors Union began its strike, affecting movie and TV productions in order to secure fair wages and working arrangements for its members. With cast members for Dune Part 2 unable to engage in any press for the movie, uh, studios Warner Brothers and Legendary Entertainment took that decision to move its release to March 15, uh, 2024. Fortunately, there have been positive developments since then. The parallel writer's strike that started back in May uh, ended on September 27th after a tentative agreement was reached, and then on October 9th, that uh, three-year agreement was confirmed. And then finally, in the first week of October, negotiations have restarted for the actors. Uh, Johnny, these two concurrent strikes have certainly shaken up the entire entertainment industry. What are your thoughts on where we've, things have landed so far uh, for the writers and uh, for the actors? And what are your current expectations when it comes to timelines for that ladder strike to reach a conclusion? Yeah, it's been a long road, as you just gave a great timeline there. And I think that, of course, the Writers Guild getting a deal done, uh, that's, uh, you know, progress and is, you know, makes people, I think, more optimistic about the uh, actors getting a deal done, hopefully in the not too distant future. And, you know, we knew, based on the reports and everything, that the primary reason that Dune Part 2 was delayed was because the studio wanted the actors to be able to promote the movie, especially when a lot of them are younger, high profile, have social media followings, that sort of thing. So that was the logic behind the delay. And now, as, as was mentioned earlier, we would probably have tickets by this point if they had kept the release. As we know, the you know strike is still ongoing. It Looking at it now, I would say that it's probably going to be at least another couple of weeks, I would say, um, before a, a deal is going to be, you know, it, you know, realistically uh, accomplished. Um, so we'd be pressing right up against that that uh, early November release date, I think, if they had kept it. So I think overall, from that logic, that point of view, I think um, it, it's kind of worked out the way that, that I guess Warner Brothers was was planning uh, on it, too. Um, I'm hoping I'm optimistic, you know, with the holidays around the corner that even if the deal maybe doesn't come in the next couple of weeks, if it's, you know, maybe about a month away, it'll be, you know, wrapped up hopefully, um, you know, before we get to that, like Thanksgiving in the U S and, you know, the Christmas and, and winter holidays. So, um, I, I, that's the good news I would say. Um, and of course, again, with the writers, you know, Denis Villeneuve is obviously like included in that in terms of, you know, the, the Dune element of it. 
um, John Spates, who also, you know, co-wrote the film. Those are two people that will be able to kind of promote it and talk about it, do interviews, that sort of thing in the coming months. Um, so that's exciting. And of course, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, with the strikes out of the way by the time Dune Part 2 comes out, um, you know, from our perspective, it, that gives us, I guess, maybe more hope that we'll get some Dune Messiah or Dune Part 3 um, news or maybe uh, you know, at least rumors around that time period. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine the strikes not going on um, anymore because I feel like we've grown so accustomed to it. But um, really looking forward to that. Really excited to to actually see the wheels start to turn. And, you know, by the time, as I was mentioning, by the time the holidays are over and we're going into New Year's and, and 2024 starts, that's really when I think marketing will kind of kick back uh, into high gear. So uh, most likely a new trailer, posters, um, all that good advertising stuff coming down the pipeline. So uh, WGA, by the way, Writers Guild, I think uh, it's kind of unanimous. They got an extremely good deal. Um, it is three years. And I think that uh, just, again, from an overall standpoint, I think um, it makes me hopeful for what the actors should be able to get. And um, I think just all around in terms of the industry, entertainment, film, television, uh, et cetera, I think it uh, it bodes well. So um, overall, I can't complain. And again, it makes me feel a little bit, I guess, better about the delay, how things ended up uh, you know, with the timeline and everything, how it's all panned out so far. Just for a moment, let's let's assume that the negotiations do wrap up in a couple of weeks. So that means theoretically, uh, Timothy Chalamet is and they and the rest of Dune Part Two stars could uh, theoretically start promoting the movie at least in some form or another from November onward. So, like in that really optimistic scenario, could you see any any like um, scenario where the studios do re reconsider the release date at, at this stage of the game? That's a really good question, Marcus. Uh, and I've seen people already talking on Twitter in the last few days, and this is partly related to the the movie news that we also have to talk about. Um, you know, is there a chance that that they could they could move the uh, the release up? And I would say, frankly, that ship has sailed. I would really not give anyone any sort of um, you know hope in that regard. As 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 much as I hate to say it, I just think that they've they like totally were comfortable doing it when they made the decision, and I think that they have no reason to renege on that um, decision. I think that they're just going to let it ride. Um, and uh, they uh, Warner Brothers in particular, because that's the studio we're dealing with, they already have their winter schedule planned out. They have the color purple, uh, you know, as an awards contender coming out in December around Christmas. They have Aquaman 2, a big family, you know, blockbuster movie coming out around that time as well. So they got plenty of other movies to promote. They got plenty of, uh, you know, actors that they have on, on the cards to get out there and talk about their movies and financially box office wise i'm sure warner brothers will be hoping that that those movies can can be hits but i think dune is not going to be part of that equation for 2023 i think it is going to stick to march and again i've talked about this at, at length already on, on twitter and whatnot and everyone's had their own opinion but i think it'll be ultimately a a, a fine <laughs> release date and i think it'll work out um again as as best as we could kind of could have hoped for given the circumstances so um yeah my bet is is it's not going to move again um unfortunately as much as i hate to say it i have again already made made peace with that as i think we all kind of have i think it would be insane if they went hey it comes out this date and then no we're actually going to move it forward like back to next year and then this year i think that would just hurt the marketing i think what's important for part two right now is xiaomi does have a movie coming out in december as far as i know Wonka is still on the schedule. Attach a trailer to that. Get people mm -hmm. that are coming in just to see Wonka and are interested in Xiaomi and remind them nicely, hey, 
Dune. Also, if that movie is it December or November, I don't remember. Does someone remember? It, it is. It is December. Wonka. That's. Thank you for reminding me, Simon. That is another a third big Warner Brothers movie that they have coming out in the same month. So yeah, that, that's more reason for Dune not not to come out. Exactly. Put the third trailer there. Three months out. Get the hype going again. Get that Shai Hulu sandworm excitement going for everyone. Dune Part Two has been reviewed by the Classification and Rating Administration, and it received a PG-13 rating for sequences of strong violence, some suggestive material, and brief strong language. This PG-13 rating is consistent with Dune Part One, and the content information is almost identical. Uh, back in 2020, uh, the first film was also rated for sequences of strong violence and suggestive material. Uh, plus, back then there was also mention of some disturbing images. Uh, Garen, it's, it's not really a surprise here, although we're aware that some fans may have hoped for an R rating. As a hardcore fan yourself and longtime reader of the original novel, uh, does this rating make sense to you, considering the story told in the second half of the book? Or is there any aspect at all that you feel may be challenging to adapt faithfully within the context of uh, PG-13? You know, Marcus, um, quite frankly, I'm, I'm pleased that that it is a PG-13 rating, clearly. I mean, I, I want this to be something that that I can... You know that anyone can take a, a a younger person to. I mean, I read. I first read Dune when I was fourteen. I saw Dune eighty four when I was fourteen. <clears throat> I mean, I was I was at the height of my sort of connection to Paul Atreides, right? So I'm I'm glad that they are uh, keeping it PG thirteen. As far as how does this affect uh, you know the story? The only the only reservation I have about this, Marcus, is. Villeneuve has told us a number of times that this is an epic war movie. So you talk epic war and, and sometimes, in fact, I would say that most, you know, really uh, powerful and uh, authentic war movies are, are rated R, right? Because the, the realities of war are, are extremely violent and, and really difficult to watch sometimes. So, um, but, but I think, I think Villeneuve, um, I think Joe Walker, I think they have what it takes to be able to make it so that we'll feel the intensity, we'll feel the pressure, uh, we'll feel the anxiety, uh, the, the trauma that comes from these war sequences, uh, but it can be done in a way that, that keeps it PG-13. So I don't, I don't think any parts of the story uh, could be at risk here. I think that's uh, the masterful skills of, of Villeneuve and, and his team. So so no, I I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be just fine. And again, I want a trilogy. I want I want whoever I take to see all three movies one day, uh, regardless of of their age. Obviously, you don't want to take a, a young child to see Dune one or two. But um, you know, I want to be able to not have that be a a jarring experience. I want it to be a consistent experience. You know what happens if you take a young child to see Dune? <laughs> no, honestly. In 1984, I saw it. I was six years old. This is oh what happened. Gosh. So you don't want that. You do not want this to happen. Okay. Case closed, I guess, Simon. Yeah, I think, uh, no, Garen, you make some some valid points there. I pretty much agree with everything you said. I think that this is not surprising. And Marcus, you mentioned it too. Like, it's PG-13. The first one was PG-13. Yes, there's going to be a more epic, you know, large scale, uh, you know, more numerous battle and action sequences in this film, most likely, especially given the way Villeneuve has described it. But we saw 
also plenty of action and violence and war in the first film as well. You know, it's not a, a you know, a walk through the garden in that movie. So um, I think that they'll, they'll do it justice. I think that they can do it in a way that's tasteful and true to the novel. And, and um, you know, it's not exactly a family film, but it, it is a, you know, it is a movie that is aiming to be a blockbuster. And, you know, we've seen plenty of movies do well, at the box office and, and do, you know, darker material, but with a PG 13 rating. So, um, not worried about that at all. I'd say the thing I'm most excited about with this rating is uh, that that strong language, you know, disclaimer there. I'm fingers crossed. I'm waiting for a Dune character to drop an f bomb. So um, I think that that would be <laughs> that would be very funny if that if that were to happen. That's typically what the strong language uh, disclaimer Johnny, means. So Johnny, you're we'll assuming see. that the f bomb is going to last <laughs> in society for ten thousand more years. I don't know about that. Hey, they got, they're cooking something. That, that, that rating tells it all. That's all I can say. Honestly, rated R movies are mostly for nudity, gore, and like really strong language. So you can do a lot with PG-13 rating. Like you guys were saying, first one was not happy fun time, and it was still rated PG-13. And they got away with a lot. I mean, unless you're showing guts and gore, you don't need an R rating. And unless there's nudity, so you can do get away with a lot with PG thirteen rating nowadays. Heard Villeneuve talk a few times about how um, he he's a few years older than me, and so you know we we grew up watching Star Wars. It kind of defined our childhoods and all that. Um, he talks about how Empire uh, the, the Empire Strikes Back really was the pinnacle Star Wars film from his standpoint. It's the middle part of the story. Um, it's you know our heroes are all in peril it's it's not empire is my favorite star wars movie but but it's not it's not all glory and and you know it's it's difficult from the standpoint of of the protagonists but it's interesting that villeneuve really loves that film right so i'm just wondering this is a speculation on my part but if if this ends up being a trilogy um if part two is his Empire Strikes Back, as it were, you know, it could be a lot darker. It could be a lot more violent. It could be a lot more of the things that we're not used to with our uh, with our heroes. So um, still, I'm, I'm glad it's not rated R for a lot of reasons. But there, like Simon was saying, there can be some real flexibility in the way you edit something. So it could be a lot darker and more intense, which, you know, I, I, as far as the story goes, um, you know, there could be a lot, lot more battle sequences, a lot more violence, that type of thing. Um, and then, of course, it'll be really interesting how he handles the ending, right? Because it won't be like Lynch's ending. It won't. Um, it'll be more <laughs> true to the film, so or f- true to the book. So anyway, that was just a thought that came to my mind is the, kind of the Empire Strikes Back comparison to part two, perhaps. Well, when you think about, I mean, we're not going to talk all about Empire Strikes Back versus A New Hope, but Empire is a lot more war, action-driven, and a lot of darkness. I mean, when you think about Empire, maybe the first 10, 15 minutes, if that, are happy good times for the Rebels. The rest of the movie, you're right, it's a puzzle. They're all separated, you know, and so I think... Denis is thinking that part two is his empire and Messiah will be his Jedi. 
I, I like um, kind of my last comment on this uh, is Garen. I like how you highlighted uh, Joe Walker in particular as, you know, uh, key. And, and I think a lot of this, you know, as the editor, he is able to do so much just with the, the way a cut, you know, occurs. And we saw this a lot in part one and in Villeneuve's films where Joe Walker is the editor, which has been his last several, um, you know, I, I think that editing is just such a, a masterful art and you can get so much across to the audience without having to show too much. As Simon was saying, gore and guts and that sort of thing. We don't need that, in my opinion, at least in, in this novel um, adaptation. Uh, in part one, we didn't get that, didn't really need it. I mean, we still had, you know, beheadings, burning bodies. There's a lot of blood in that movie, I feel like, for a PG-13 movie, even though it's, again, it's not gratuitous and it's not, you know, pouring out of people. Um, and I think that, again, it's going to be very similar and, and just the, I know the way with the way that we've seen Joe Walker work, I'm just really excited to see how he and Villeneuve kind of navigate, you know, these sequences and, and manage to, you know, like you said, uh, get that extra kind of gut punch, you know, for the audience to get, get these points across. I mean, the art of Joe Walker is that cut when you see Batista about to behead someone in the first mm -hmm. one, and then it got, it cuts to something else right there. If we would have seen that head. That could have been an R right there. You know, they're very weird about their ratings, but it's all done in the editing room. And Joe Walker right. is a master and so is Denis. So in Denis, we trust. Yeah, John, I think that that's the right word to use, uh, gratuitous, because I think that that's really the distinction, right? Like in, in Dune Part 1, a lot of dark stuff does happen, but it's not like shown in a gratuitous uh, manner, right? Like e even the point where uh, like Baron Harkonnen kills uh, Dr. Yui, you know, it's, it's gruesome, mm. but like, you know, the camera doesn't... Uh, yeah, that's a great example, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm thinking to the point about how Frank Herbert him, himself, if you read the book, like a lot of the action happened off screen. So I would say like totally to have a faithful Dune adaptation. I mean, we're going to get a lot of action. We're going to get war in this movie, but you don't have to like, you know, like linger too much and like show blood and gore just for the sake of it to convey like the, the war aspect of, of Dune. Yeah, of course, the, the one aspect that, that has come up uh, several, several times is, I guess, the, the, the point you brought up, Simon, about uh, nudity and, and things like that. So, so people have brought up the celebrations that happen um, uh, at sea, the siege after the Water of Life ceremony. Uh, of course, like uh, Frank Herbert described it like in, in a cer certain way, but it's also a very brief description. He doesn't go into in much detail, but we know that it's, um, you know, like the Fremen lose their inhibitions and there, there's lots uh, going on there. Um, again, it's a question, does the movie have to be rated R to depict something like that? And then you also have the um, the scene we, we saw in the, in the trailer with uh, Fade and, and Lady Margot. So obviously there's going to be an intimate encounter there. And again, it's, it's just about like how, how much you show. So I think uh, going back to your original uh, answer, Garen, like I, I don't think there's really anything in, in the film that needs to be R in order to convey uh, the story. You know, you know, going back to that that scene that you mentioned, Simon, uh, where um, Raban is is beheading, you know, an, Atre an Atreides soldier. To me, the genius, and, and I'm and I'm giving credit to both Joe Walker and Villeneuve. The the genius of that shot is you can just see the rage in Raban, and then you realize what he's doing to these guys, and so your anxiety just like peaks and then you see the sword but then you don't actually see anything but the effect is the same my heart still stopped in that moment right but even though my my eyes didn't see it so that's the genius of filmmaking is that our imaginations just carry on with the sequence 
No, so I just I love that you pointed out that scene because if if those two filmmakers together utilize that that technique and skill with Dune Part Two, which is has a lot of action and and, and war sequences, I don't think we're going to miss anything if it were a rated R film. I really don't. Look, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, and go ahead, send me the hate mail, send me the hate tweets. <laughs> um, I'm not a big Hitchcock fan, okay? For me, I'm like, okay, I get it. It has time. But if you look at the shower scene in Psycho, you never see the knife hit her or, you know, poke her. And that's the power of editing. And they got away with that. I was trying to figure out what Psycho was rated, but it's very much like that Roban scene. We cut right before we get to see the beheading, the art of filmmaking, the art of editing. And uh, to Marcus's point, you know, talking about like the, you know, what goes, what goes down in the sieges, um, like the part of the rating that, that you mentioned earlier is the suggestive content, which again, I think we got some of that in part one as well. Um, you know, that's kind of, that's what we're all talking about. It's the power of suggestion, you know, and what, what the edit means and, and what the images, you know, in certain sequence mean. And so I think that whether we're talking about the violent nature of the story and, and certain scenes or the sexual nature of it like there is i think a way again if we're trying to open it up for you know younger folks to to enjoy and watch uh, in particular i think that yeah there's a way you can do it and have it be again tasteful and true and um again not being gratuitous necessarily again i don't have an issue with any of that i don't have you know gratuity i think is great in certain circumstances um, I'm sure uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky would agree, but I think that it, for this and knowing Villeneuve and his sensibilities and everything, it's just, I always, this is just kind of how I always assumed it would be. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think I saw a little bit of people talking online when this rating came out and they're like, Oh, what's that going to mean for this? Or like, but, you know, but I think overall people are just like, yeah, like that's, that's what we kind of expect. And, you know, we have no like issues with that. So I, I am curious, I will say, I guess is one last thing is outside of part two, if and when uh, Messiah gets made. And again, knowing that that'll be the last one, like, do they just say to hell with it and do an R rating? And like, they're not worried about making the money back or bringing in younger viewers because it's just a different kind of story or, you know, will they still try to kind of ride that line? And again, that's another one where I don't even think that you would need to be rated R, but you know, how dark and disturbing <laughs> you know, can, can that story be? I think that, that'd be just an interesting kind of uh, final chapter, I guess, you know, depending on, that, but that's a ways away. So, Johnny, I, I just think it would be really poor branding to do Messiah or Part Three rated R when you've taken all of these yeah. audience members. I mean, when I went and saw Dune with my with my family, my kids are my kids are young adults, right? But you know, I, I saw families with young younger teenage uh, kids. You know, they're with us mm -hmm. in the theater, like. That's that's really poor branding to to have part one, part two. They're they're all invested in the story, and then hit them with a, a rated R on the third. <laughs> just that that would not yeah. make sense, sort of from a product uh, standpoint. Yeah. But then again, it's it's a creative art <laughs> form, right? Yeah. So a director can do what he wants, but you know, I mean, you know better than me uh, in terms of what a what a studio does with their their their. <laughs> franchise material right they they really care about it it's a lot mm -hmm. invested into that so i don't know maybe no, i hear that been, maybe it's been done johnny i don't know remember no, i hear no, that that's a good point go remember ahead, go ahead, remember no nudity 
no gore, you're good. No front <laughs> well, or back nudity and no gore. And you can get away with pretty much anything, honestly. Well, it's, you know, you, it's an interesting um, conversation, though. Um, and I love that we're just like on this like MPA kind of like discussion now. Um, we'll, we'll move along uh, briefly. But like, I think it's an interesting point, uh, Garen, you know, I'm trying to think of examples like where a franchise goes along and like the rating changes or like it gets, you know, to a more mature audience. I, I can't think of any, you know, Star Wars hasn't never done that. Um, you know, Harry Potter Actually, didn't do that, but Star Wars did do that. I'm going to put on my nerd glasses right now. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> All right. Well, technically I think the original Star Wars, like the, the, uh, that is true. Or, okay. This is prequels, true. Yeah. Were like episode one and two were PG yeah. and three became PG 13. Yeah. And this that was like a big hoopla. I remember like, I remember, Oh, yeah. Lucas is rating a, doing a PG 13 movie. <laughs> Watch out. That, that, okay. You got me there. I, I will give you that, but it's not hard. It's not rated R though. Right. So that's the one thing, but like, you know, Lord of the Rings, they're all PG 13. So I, I think it's fair to, to make that point. And again, I was just saying that for sake of argument, but I don't think Dune Messiah, just from you know having read it the one time, I don't think it that's a, a book that needs to be rated R to be adopted. No, you know, it doesn't. any more than Dune, you know, the original would be. So yeah. Now the later books, that's a whole different story. <laughs> of course, where there's a run rating, there must also be a runtime, right? Uh, while there's no official word on how exactly um, long Dune Part Two will be, placeholders are appearing in various movie databases. Uh, both IMDb.com and Rotten Tomatoes list around two hours and 30 minutes, uh, likely coming from the same <laughs> data source. And the former even makes reference to uh, three hours, uh, 15 minutes. But what's actually really amusing right now is that the technical specifications page on uh, IMDb uh, currently states the runtime as three hour, 15 minutes, uh, 195 minutes in total, um, slash two hours, 30 minutes, 150 minutes for the United States. So does this mean that the international version is going to have like 45 minutes of extended uh, post-water of life ceremony sequences and then that will need to be cut out from the U.S. version? Uh, probably not. And I'd say we, we should take uh, both of these runtimes with a large grain of salt. With um, that, that in mind, um, now I want to hear from each of you. Uh, do, do you expect from that the real runtime will be closer to 2 hours 30 minutes or to 3 hours 15 minutes? And also, what's your rationale? I'll let you uh, kick off, Simon. All right. No pressure now. Um, I do think it should be probably around three hours. Also, let's not forget, most movies now might be two hours and 40 minutes, and you got to get 20 minutes of just credits. You know, everyone that works on the film. I think three hours, 15 altogether, have the film actually being three hours and 15 minutes of credit, and maybe, you know, an end sequence. Um with someone's eyes glowing silver would be great. Um, no spoiler, just read Dune Messiah if you want to know what I'm talking about. Um, I think three hours would be great. Obviously, I want more Dune. I I hate and love long movies. If I'm taken away, I don't care if the movie's 90 minutes or four hours long, like me and Garen have talked many times. Lawrence Arabia is one of our favorite movies. I know people are always like, oh, that movie's so long. But it just goes by because it's such an amazing journey take me away let me forget where i am just denis joe walker and the rest of the team 
take me away to Arrakis again. So, Marcus, I my take on this really stems from my experience with part one. So one of the things that I was, among many things that I was so pleased about after just seeing part one in the theater for the first time with, with a large packed theater, I, I remember everyone came out of the theater and, and we're all just kind of hovering in the, you know, in the entrance there and people are outside near the front doors and, and I'm just hearing all these conversations and it's just so cool because they're, they're talking about all the depth and the characters and the, the plot. And, and one of the things that I do remember people hearing or remember people saying is more than a few times, wow, that went by so fast. Like that, that didn't seem like a very long movie. You know, I, I was just totally in it. And even my own family members, my own kids who had never read the book um, mentioned the same thing. And, and so I know I'm kind of uh, dodging your question here, but I, <laughs> I don't care how long it is. I mean, obviously there's a point at which it's beyond, you know, just sitting there in one place for that long a period of time. I, I don't think it matters with Villeneuve because I really think as long as he just allows his talents and skills to come through and Joe Walker and everyone to just flow, we're going to be in it and we're not going to care how long it is. We're not going to even sense it because that's the beauty of, of this part one. And what I think is going to be part two is we're literally just like you were saying, so I'm taken to another dimension but yet we feel like we're there. And so we lose track of time. So I just think it's not really going to matter. I mean, I know there are reasons to care, but I just, I want it to feel as if there's no time. Great points all around. Uh, You know, to your question, (laughs) Marcus, I would say, I think realistically, it's probably gonna be closer to two and a half hours than three hours and 15 minutes because three hours and 15 minutes is a really long movie. Um, but I am optimistic that it will be pretty pretty close to three hours. I'm thinking maybe like two hours and 45 or 50 minutes maybe, um, which would still be closer to, to two and a half hours. But I mean, I could I think there's a, a decent chance that it could be right close to that three hour mark. You know, we have seen kind of a resurgence in the last couple of years since movies have kind of made this comeback um, to some degree um, of longer films, especially like blockbuster films, you know, from uh, Avatar, the way of water being three hours long or the Batman being three hours long or, you know, Endgame, of course, right. You know, before the pandemic, that was a three hour movie. Um, And also just this year, again, proving regardless of genre or rating um, or content, you know, that people will turn up if the movie is good, Um, you know, Uh, Oppenheimer, of course, you know, right at three hours, making almost a billion dollars. So I think that there's certainly an audience now um, that has been kind of conditioned uh, to some degree that if a movie is worthwhile, if they're excited for the movie, we have Killers of the Flower Moon coming out in just, uh, you know, next week. And, you know, it's not gonna be a blockbuster, but I think it's going to open up to 35, 40 million in the US. And, um, and I think that, uh, and that movie's it well in excess of three hours. So I think that there's definitely a, a good chance. I think it would certainly be worthwhile um, for Dune Part Two to be on the longer side, um, certainly longer than Part One, and I think again closer to that three-hour mark, hopefully than than the two and a half-hour mark, for example, um, just because it is paying off everything that was set up in Part One, and I think people are willing to give 
this movie more of their attention, more of their time because of how much I think a lot of people did enjoy, um, you know, the first first chapter. You know, one of the highest grossing movies, I think, of this year is the new Into the Spider-Verse film. And that's almost like two and some change, almost three hours. I mean, there's parts when I was watching, I was like, you can easily cut that out. But people came back, watched it a couple of times. It made money. You know, I remember the joke when I went to film school 20 plus years ago, make a short film, turn it around a lot. And then Titanic came around and changed all that. I think if people are interested in the story, no matter how long it is, like Garen, you were saying, people forget that they were sitting there for three hours. Now, if the movie's horrible and you just want to bang your head against the wall, then yes, it will feel like three hours and not 95 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to bet myself that it's closer to the former, but like more towards the edge. So like, let's say two hours, 52 minutes or, or something along that lines. I'd want to have a much longer version. Uh, however, I can imagine that over three hours will be harder to sell to some general audiences uh, as well as theaters. But yeah, with, with that amount of material, I, I really cannot see them making it shorter than, than the first movie. Anyway, we'll know uh, soon enough. For now, let's dive into some exciting expanded news. The Duneverse. Books, comics, games, collectibles, and more. The past month has been absolutely massive for Dune releases and announcements. Kicking off uh, things on September 14th, there was a 1.0 release of Dune Spice Wars. This 4X real-time strategy game from developer Shiro Games and publisher Famcom had been available in early access for roughly 16 months. And during that time period, the developers have really been consistently engaging with community uh, keep improving the game, rolling out new features and various uh, major and minor updates. With the game graduating from early access, a sixth faction is now available, House of Kaz, and they've added a uh, conquest mode. Uh, the latter allows a player to go through a set of different missions, uh, you could call it that, uh, to complete a full conquest of Arrakis. Uh, Garen, you've been a big advocate of the game since early access. Having now experienced a full version, as it were, uh, what are your overall uh, thoughts? been playing this game uh you know at least at least a couple of times a week really since uh since the early release version was available and uh, so i was a little bit skeptical of you know how different can it really be how can the uh you know the, the full 1.0 version be from from what i've been playing and the first thing i noticed was uh, some of the ui screens were much more beautifully designed and refined and i know you know maybe some People don't care about that stuff, but to me, it really adds a lot to the overall experience of, of playing a game like this. Um, but really, uh, that conquest uh, option, which is like like you said, uh, Marcus, being able to kind of choose these different, almost mini missions that you're doing. So instead of just having one big long campaign where you're uh, maybe you chose maybe you, you've chosen to be the Atreides and you're you're battling, you know. Uh, three other factions and and it's like this long drawn out campaign which by the way doesn't doesn't feel long uh, talking about time it it just goes because you're constantly making decisions and 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 in battle and building your resources and you know it's it's a real time strategy game so this is what you're focused on all the time but what i really was impressed with was this conquest option because it like i, I remember one i started last week 
And it was like, you kind of almost have this map of Arrakis that's a little bit different from the early access version. And it almost looks like a chessboard of sorts. And you're sort of making these decisions to move into a new space. And that new space is a different mission than what you did before. So maybe your first mission is to control uh, so many uh, cities. Uh, And so you're in a conquest mode of having a lot of of military force to be able to battle and take over all of these, these cities. But then you finish that mission, hopefully you've won that mission, and then the next one that you're offered because you choose a new space on the on the chessboard, as it were, now the goal is not to, to take over all of these cities. Now the goal is to own 30% of the Chom holdings in terms of your, your gold and your, your credits. And, and so I really liked that because it actually introduced me to parts of the game. Clearly, I'm a warmonger because all I ever wanted to do was just battle other, uh, other uh, factions and sort of take over the world. Um, but the, the conquest really forces you to take different strategies uh, and approach how you're going to win based on that unique strategy. And, and one of them, I think, was focused on uh, the political aspect of being able to undermine and infiltrate you know, a, another faction. So, so I was really quite impressed with this conquest uh, option, which was not available in the early access version that I've been playing for so long. So uh, hats off uh, to the team because that really kind of made it a new game for me and, and I really like it. And then also just lastly, the, uh, the new faction, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. Uh, I need someone to tell me how to pronounce it, but Ekaz or uh, Ekaz or however you say that new faction name. Um, it, again, the factions are all unique and they have unique skills and strengths and some weaknesses. Um, I don't know that the the ECAN faction, ECAS faction came out uh, as being, you know, overwhelmingly unique. Um, but it's just fun. It's fun to have, you know, kind of different options, uh, to have your 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 resources and your your army and your other people that you're building up and 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 increasing the size of your army. It's just fun to have them be different and have different aspects to their to their strengths. So I don't know. I, I just I just saw just a moment ago. This game is getting really high reviews, and I'm really pleased with that because, you know, I, I've played real time strategy games in the past, but they've really they've really taken the unique sort of magical aspects of Dune and weaved it into this real time strategy game. So I, I'm really impressed with the 1.0 release. We also uh, published a written review uh, from guest writer James T. Kelly, and he um, was really good to get his perspective because he's a longtime fan of uh, all forms of Dune gaming, both tabletop and video games. And in 2021, he published a book on this topic, Calling the Makers, An Unofficial History of Dune Games, and that had interviews with many of the creators and so on. Um, he gave the Dune Spice Wars a positive review um, while also raising a, a number of valid criticisms, such as... Um, in the conquest mode that you talked about, Garen, there's there's really not that much story elements, um, and also he he talked about the inconsistencies in implementing the lore. Uh, so, for example, um, you know when it's house Ikaz, uh, but not the native Fremen, uh, it's it's the former who are the, the only ones who can bring vegetation to Arrakis. Uh, what what were your thoughts on those two topics? 
Uh, he's right. Um, there isn't very much storyline uh, weaved into the the conquest option. That did that didn't bother me. I, I really just enjoyed the the uniqueness of each mission. Um, I, I guess that's something that he really values is is you know the story aspect to those campaigns. Um, and and I don't know. Maybe maybe I just like to get in there and battle it out and then and then go on with my day. I don't know, but. Um, no, that didn't bother me. Didn't bother me at all. And then I guess, you know, the other aspect of, you know, uh, I wasn't totally clear on there's only, uh, he's saying that only, uh, ECAS can, can actually create vegetation to change the face of Arrakis. Is that what you were saying, Marcus? Yeah. So, so it's, it's not like, for example, some of the classic games where like the Fremen can, uh, you know, start converting the, the landscapes into, into like vegetated areas and transform the, the face of Arrakis. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know. I, I guess to be true to Frank Herbert, that's not very that's not very accurate, right? But uh, again, for me, they've matched enough aspects of this game to what I know to be Frank Herbert's Dune that I'm that I'm okay with it. Um, um, I it also just to shift gears for a second, it plays really well. Like it just it just flows and the UI flows. And it's not overly complex to learn. And I, I just think there's a lot of good going on. But I, I, I see his criticisms, and, and those are fair. Those just aren't things that I am as concerned about, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think it's uh, interesting hearing the different perspectives because that represents, like, I guess, two, um, two different types of, of players. I guess like one, one player could be coming in and really looking at okay, thinking maybe as a chess game, you know, like I want to go in and like think about the strategy and, and tactics. While another player may be approaching it more like, I want to like have a storyline, you know, like I want to, you know, be Paul Trades and like take over and like see the, um, you know, the, the machinations on, on between the, the different parties and, and that struggle. So more of a narrative game. Uh, but fortunately, I guess we do have some some games like that coming up as well. But that's going to be doing Awakening, I hope, <laughs> if it comes out, <laughs> because that's going to be the experience of becoming a Fremen or Atreides or Harkonnen, whatever your choices are, and to actually live it and feel like you're there. Uh, and hopefully that will have a really strong storyline. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's coming. Some truly excellent uh, nonfiction book releases. On September 19, it started with A Masterpiece in Disarray, David Lynch's Dune, An Oral History. And that was written by Max Ivry. Uh, this gorgeous 500-page hardcover goes into great depth behind the scenes of the first successfully completed Dune movie uh, from 1984. Uh, interviewing dozens of people who were involved in this production at all sorts of levels, even the director himself. Uh, Simon, even as a as a huge fan of David Lynch's Dune movie, I recall there were, there were a number of details that surprised you. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on on that book? Uh, first of all, if you want to know more about that book, people should watch or listen to our interview with Max. Um, available on YouTube and every podcast. Uh, writer that you can think of honestly the biggest thing that book is amazing by the way just it's a textbook it could be its own class like i told max uh the main thing was the original casting was very unique and also of its time when i first read it i was like tom cruise as paul atreides all right and then i thought about it for a while i was like Especially after we did our interview with Max, I'm like, 
I can see it. It totally makes sense for a time. It's just a really interesting book. Uh, I haven't got a chance to finish it. It's a big book. It's massive. It's one of those, like, you don't have to read every chapter in a row. Just being like, hey, today I want to know about the editing. Today I want to know about the visual effects. Today I want to hear about Kyle McLaughlin, how he got the role. You know, so it's something that you can go back to. I highly recommend it, even if you're not a fan of the Lynch movie and you're just a fan of Dune or filmmaking. Johnny, I think you would appreciate it for the filmmaking point of views of what Max talks about. So it's an epic book. It's a nice little Christmas present. Well, it's a, it's a big Christmas present, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, and as, as mentioned, we went into some really cool details when, uh, when Max was in the show, so definitely uh, check it out. Um, then on uh, September 26th, um, we got The Spice Must Flow, the story of Dune from cult novels to visionary sci-fi movies, and that was written by Ryan Britt. Uh, this 250-page paperback, also available in audio format, by the way, uh, takes readers on an enjoyable journey through the entirety of 60-year history of Frank Herbert's Dune saga. From its odd um, path to getting published the first time, up to the latest uh, movies. Uh, Garen, you've also had a chance to read uh, that book and we're familiar with the author's earlier articles about Dune. What's your view on The Spice Must Flow? I really like uh, the way Ryan Britt writes. Um, and I didn't realize until you guys did your interview with him that he is such a Dune fan. I, I did not, I, I knew he was a Star Wars fan and a, and a Trekkie. So I was quite impressed with uh, the, the amount of research and, and background that he he already had with Dune and, and was, was quite a fan. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting to have the opportunity to look at Dune from kind of a 10,000 foot view of, you know, not only the origins and, and Frank Herbert and, and what went into to creating, uh, you know, the Dune saga, but also kind of the, the aspects of, you know, what, what sort of cultural, you know, and societal influences may have may have evolved, and so, you know, I, I think Ryan Britt just takes takes a really broad view uh, of the spice must flow, and so I I just think he does a really great job. He's a really engaging writer. He's very passionate about this franchise, and it really comes it really comes through in the book. Um, so it's kind of fun. We've got sort of a, a handful of these uh, Dune books kind of coming out right here at the moment, and I think Ryan Britt's would stand. To be one of the uh, one of the, one of the better ones in terms of its just literary approach and, and research, I think he did a great job. Uh, I think the other author, authors have also done a great job, but there's something about the way Ryan Britt that uh, Ryan Britt writes that's really really resonates with me. It's interesting. All these books came out. It's like if there was a movie that was supposed to come out in like <laughs> yeah. less than a month or something. Supposed to come out right about now, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and as, as Garen mentioned, uh, definitely check out our interview with uh, with Ryan Britt. It's the previous uh, episode to this one. He had uh, lots of interesting insights to share. And we also have a written review, uh, which which Mark wrote, that's up on dunesnet.com. And then rounding up this uh, trio of publications is the, um, the Worlds of Dune, the Places and Cultures that Inspired Frank Herbert by Tom Huddleston. Yeah, so it's a really visually appealing um, uh, hardcover uh, book, uh, you know, a generous amount of full-color uh, photographs and artwork. And this one dives into the real-world people and places that influenced the creation of the original Dune. I'm not going to go into too much detail now, since Tom himself will be joining us uh, in the next episode of Dune Talk. 
but in the meantime, uh, Mark has written a review of this book on dudenewsnow.com and check that out. Uh, Johnny, hearing the premise of these three books, um, which one would you be most interested in reading yourself potentially? Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to dig into any of these yet. They all sound really interesting. And I think that they each take a really cool uh, approach to, you know, a piece of or, you know, kind of the entirety of, of the Dune lore. Um, you know, I would say, I think the the, the Tom Huddleston uh, book about kind of the inspiration uh, for Dune, where, where Frank Herbert drew uh, from in, in the real world, I think that to me, I think offers something just a little bit different, maybe a little bit more unique in terms of um, my own exposure to to Dune publications and kind of, you know, the different uh, books and, and novels that I've seen written about the franchise. Um, and I think that something that people are always looking for um, in my experience online and uh, in general is just, you know, learning more about the different real life, you know, people's places um, cultures uh, that Frank Herbert took clear inspiration from. And, um, you know, kind of, I think it's nice in a way to, to ha you know, pay homage to those different, um, you know, cultures and, and learn a little bit more about it and, and go into more detail about how exactly, what specific influences are there that you can cite in the not in the original novel or the, the uh, sequels. Um, and I think even for me as someone who's, a, you know, comparatively to, to the rest of the crew here, uh, a little bit more of a novice uh, Dune fan, um, having only read the first two novels. And I think that I, I would in particular like to read a little bit more and just learn more about, um, you know, the, those uh, those influences, because some of them are certainly more obvious than others. But I'm sure there's a lot that I, I myself, you know, I'm not aware of or haven't picked up on yet, uh, yet from just the first two books. Just add to what to what both of you have said. Um this this tom huddleston book which which uh because i'm going to be joining that interview with him soon um it would make it would make another great class like it would be it would be a great textbook uh, it's not as thick as the as 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 the avery book but it it really exposes you to historical and societal and technological influences that not only may have influenced Frank Herbert, but Frank Herbert acknowledged that they influenced him. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I really, I really, I was one of the strange kids in school, but I really liked history. I thought it was super cool, especially if there was war involved. And the way he structured this book is to take kind of a subject like, um, like the spice. And then he just spends a whole chapter going into you know, all of the things at the time period that Frank Herbert was not only living, but at the time he was writing Dune, you know, what what influences could have created the whole idea behind Spice and and whether it's oil, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, psychedelic drugs. It, it's just fascinating. I, I think he's done a really great job of exposing you to even though, yes, Frank Herbert was a genius to, to have the imagination of such a stature that he could create this universe that feels real to all of us, but yet there were these influences that without them, without these historical events and things that he read and exposed, we wouldn't have some of the things in Dune that we have. So uh, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm reading so far in, in, in Tom Huddleston's book. Yeah, def definitely look forward to that uh, that interview coming next on Do Talk. Um, 
Then our uh, last uh, section for, for today, uh, there was a lot of exciting news for Dune collectors. Uh, Simon, I'll, I'll let you take it away. Was it exciting or was it not? Let's be honest. Uh, I'm going to talk about the exciting part first and kind of the letdown after, uh, uh, next. So, uh, raise of hand on the podcast. Who enjoys Legos here? <laughs> Okay, two out of Okay, Johnny, maybe. Marcus doesn't enjoy Legos. Well, boys, if you like Legos like I do, boys and girls, set one, zero, three, two, seven. Next year will be your set. It is an ornithopter. It's finally not officially announced, but there's been more and more leaks. 1,369 pieces. That's all. Whole Ooh. lot of bricks. Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, coming out uh, February 2024. So just in time for Valentine's Day. If your loved one loves Dune, then get him a Lego Ornithopter, Mrs. Garen. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, it's going to retail for 165 which is not bad. Honestly, for that many pieces and being a licensed product, that's really good. Because sometimes you get Star Wars Lego sets that are 80 bucks and they're like 600 pieces, you know. Uh, what blew me away was not just the size of the Ornithopter, uh, 23 centimeters in height, 57 uh, centimeters long. So that's about 22 inches long for the Ornithopter. So about two rulers long. Here's the crazy one, 70, 79 centimeters wide for the... <laughs> wings i haven't done the math on that to convert that to inches yet but the minifigs so legos are known for minifigs people buy legos just to get the minifigs uh we're gonna get paul trades lady jessica gurney shawnee leto uh uh kinds duncan idaho and the baron in his long robe so I'm just wondering if it's like a couple bricks of Legos that just kind of make that long robe that you see him being like, my Arrakis, my dude. But honestly, I am super excited to build this. I will personally buy one of these uh, if Marcus will let me do a review of it. If Mark doesn't beat me to it, because I know Mark's a big Lego guy too, or maybe Garen, or we can have a live stream one night and just build Legos and talk about Dune. There's been so many leaks, but for right now, it's still in the rumor talk. And then um, I want to talk about the action figures. So if you've been watching or listening to this show for a while, you know I got into Dune because of the 84 figures, and those hold a special place in my heart. Super 7, please release the second wave of those radio, I was going to say radioactive, those radio um, reactive figures. But McFarlane showed off some of their toys for Din Part 2, and I'm kind of glad because I'm not going to be spending that much money on them because <laughs> a lot of them I'm not impressed with. Can we talk about the elephant in the room, our first real look at Christopher Walken as the emperor? How It's not pretty. It's not pretty. <laughs> it's not. And it was kind of a letdown. You're like, really? This is your first real full shot that we see of walking as the emperor? I was like, please, tell me this is a joke. This is not 
a final product, but apparently it is. And by the time this episode comes out, each individual figure and one of everything will be out except one box set. So we have a Paul that looks very much like the original Paul from part one, just with a little bit of robes, a different sword. Um, not too impressed by it, honestly. The Christopher Walken, I'm I'm done talking about that figure. I'd never want to see that figure ever again. I will start laughing when it's on the pegs and no one's buying it. This we clothing have, is not fit for the Emperor. <laughs> right? The Emperor did not get his new groove back. The one that makes me laugh in a way, which I will definitely be buying though, is the Faye Rafa. It looks just like a Batman figure with an Austin Butler face on it. Like, seriously, <laughs> like... Not impressed by it. I'm sorry, McFarlane. Like, as much as I love your toys, usually I'm just... So I am going to get the Faye because, you know, if I have a Paul, I need a Faye. And if I have a Paul, <laughs> I need a Chani. And she's she's in this set. Chani actually might be the best-looking figure. Like, I'm actually super excited about Chani. With, you know, with a bloody crest knife. Uh, what I'm surprised of, there's no arrow on and I don't think they're going to do a wave three of these figures. I feel like Erlon deserves a figure. And then we have a couple two-packs. We have the one that we called out a couple months ago of Gurney Halleck fighting the Beast Raban. You heard Part it here first. Wants, yep. Part of me wants that just for the Gurney Halleck figure. I already have the Beast Raban because he was the built the figure. And for the first movie, and it looks very much like the first wave of the first figures. So I'm like, ugh, I don't know. And then there's the one that makes me laugh every time I see it. I don't know if you guys have seen the Paul Faye Rafa two-pack. Where Faye is literally just screaming with his mouth wide open. <laughs> and it just looks horrible. Like, I want to love these figures. I want to buy these. You know, I will see the packaging is really cool. There's different lights. There's different, you know, logos for each house. But overall, I'm just really disappointed. Or maybe I'm jaded in figures now. Maybe that's why it is. And finally, there is a really cool four-pack that you get a still guard, which is pretty much the same still guard we got from part one. You get the Chani, you get Paul, and you get Gurney. It's an Amazon exclusive that hits on October 31st or 30th, I think. Uh, 30th, one day before Halloween, one day before my wedding. So if anyone wants to get me that, I'll, I'll be cool with it. But I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm, I'm just really let down with these figures. I was hoping for more. And I think maybe it was just the lack of the Emperor and just being like, really, this is what we're going to get. Hopefully, he has another outfit in the film and not his pajama pants, you know, Moo that he's wearing for half of the movie. Um, ooh, excuse me. The other stuff I'm not too familiar about. Marcus, you told me about these models that are coming out. Can you? I didn't get a chance to really look into them that much, but they look really cool. I feel like Garen would be into those little models. 
Yeah, it's, it's actually like, uh, I mean, I, I'm not into like collectibles as much, but like I've, I've never heard of about these Meng models, but these uh, images showing like there's going to be an actual model of the Spice Harvester and the Ornithopter, which I'm sure is already on, on Garen's list. Uh, they, they, they look really impressive. So like, uh, yeah, we'll have to learn more about those. Yeah, those look cool. Lego, super excited. Funko, oddly didn't show off anything at Toy Fair. Weird. Um, McFarlane, maybe... Todd, just keep collecting baseballs and like <laughs> keep drawing comics. Just not impressed by them, but you're still gonna get my money, so whatever. <laughs> Rest assured. Yep. You hear that, Todd? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Great. So that's a wrap up for our uh, roundup this week. As mentioned, we have an interview next week, and we have a lot more stuff uh, coming down as we count down to the holidays and. Uh, Dune Part 2 coming in, in uh, 2024. So uh, for now, let's go ahead and sign off. Simon Dowdy here. You can follow me on S Dowdy on all the socials. If you hate my Hitchcock um, lack of love or you hate me talking bad about McFarlane, tweet at me, Facebook me, Instagram me, block me, whatever. I love you guys. Thank you all for watching and listening. And sadly, we still have to wait a little bit longer. Thanks, everyone, once again for joining us. Uh, great to be back. I feel like we never left. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for this next period uh, as we move towards Dune Part 2's release. Um, got plenty to look forward to, I think, in the next few months. And, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if it, nothing else, I think that the conversation uh, we were able to have on this episode was a pretty good one. So thanks again for watching. You can find me at Johnny Sobchak on Twitter, Letterboxd, all that good stuff on social media. So thanks for watching. Hey, everyone. Thank you for watching. Uh, really enjoy the conversations we have and just appreciate uh, appreciate a lot of the comments we're, we're getting on on uh, many of the channels and particularly on YouTube. And um, just really enjoy having your perspective and, and your insights, even if it disagrees with with things that, that our opinions just really appreciate your interactions. So thank you for supporting us. Uh, just yeah, we're, we're, we're open to, to hear it. And we'd, we'd love to hear what um, what you, you thought about uh, these shows, what you'd like to see, uh, see more of, just uh, shout out to us at Do Newsnet. This was uh, Marcus, your editor at DoNewsNet.com, and you can find me at Marcus Writing on uh, X and on uh, Facebook. Until the next show, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to DoNewsNet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.